I just reek with humility. Um, I congratulations, my friend, and congratulations to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and thank God for that we're all here. Uh, let me just shorten this down. I was born a genius. Um, um, you're laughing because you can identify, obviously. <laughs> Uh, today they call things issues. When I came in, we used to just say you were whacked. Um, it was, there's a lot of things that have been watered down now. It's changed. Um, before I ever took the first drink, there were wackiness in my life. It had nothing to do with my family. Uh, before I ever took the first drink in my life, there were certain things I did not like, which is starting with you. Um, and you meaning people. I'm a loner by nature, and I was very happy spending time. The older people in this room know that we used to watch the radio. Now, I know that's very strange, but the older people in this room knows about that. I used to watch the radio and listen to the Lone Ranger and Hopalong Casting and the rest of it. And then I discovered Granddad at the age of 12 years old, and a miraculous thing happened. I didn't need the radio now, and I had a radio in my head. Um, our Granddad 100 Proof enabled me to carry this radio everywhere. I was, in a, I was uh, born a Catholic, and I uh, uh, was an altar boy. There's a lot of Catholics. I do a lot of traveling around the country, and there's a lot of Catholics in there, and I still think we atoning for the lies we told in the box. But uh, there's a lot of Catholics in A, and I travel, and, and when I was an uh, altar boy, we kids used to send the older people to cop for us. So that's what we used to do. And we used to get them their stuff, and they get us our stuff. Well, uh, that Sunday, I had some granddad, 100 proof, and uh, I went to Mass and put the gown on, and then the granddad started kicking in, and I started going down the aisle there with my little aisle, a gown on and swinging the chalice and everything. And out of nowhere, Ike and Tina Turner's uh, Mockingbird, uh, you know, came in. And uh, I start bopping on down the aisle. And uh, I, I'm hearing this radio and this music, you know, and it's going. And I'm swinging the chalice, you know, and I hit this guy in the head uh, with the chalice. So I was fired uh, at the age of 12. So at 12 years old, I had the requirements for a membership. I didn't have the willingness, but I had the requirements at 12. And between 12 and 16, I spent a lot of time watching old guys drink. Uh, uh, I knew I would never, ever be like them because these were old bums, and after all, I told you I was a genius. So therefore, I was a cut above. Uh, there's no way in the world that I would ever allow myself to be like any of these guys. They sit around on fire burrows and around trees and play checkers all day and drink wine all day and talk about the old days. And I'm just never going to be like that. I'm different, I'm unique, I'm special, and all the rest of that time. At 16 years old, I was drinking every single day. I was going to school. Before the word pusher became very famous, I was my school's pusher for booze. Uh, and my locker was more bottles and cans than books. Uh, I didn't need so many books because, as you can recall, if you're still sober, I'm a genius. <laughs> so I really did not need a lot of books and bottles and, and those kinds of things. I mean, I've, to show you the proof, I, vali I, I graduated valedictorian in my high school. It was no problem whatsoever. Uh, Mayor McKeldin gave me my diploma, and to this day, I think he was just as drunk as I was. But, uh, but, uh, we couldn't even, we couldn't even find our hands. Uh, we were so, uh, uh, so, uh, we, I, I, I took a family. My family then consisted of Granddad, Calvert Extra, Seagram 7, Cole 45, 
Um, basically, that was my family. And I took my family. We went to Morgan uh, College. And over there, I was on the honor roll, Dean's List. No problem whatsoever. And I know it's fashionable to say that alcoholics today have low self-esteem. Well, I don't, I don't, I never had that. Uh, I don't know about a low self-esteem alcoholic in a program that talks about ego deflation. Go, fi- <laughs> go figure, you know, because I was two years sober. Uh, two year, I, I went, I went into the dean's office after two years of being at Morgan, 4.0 average, honor roll, dean's list, everything, and drinking every day. No problem, because I'm a genius. Uh, no problem whatsoever. I walked into the dean's office, and I said, I quit. And he said, why? You have a perfect average here. Now, here's what I told him with my low self-esteem. Here's what I said. Dean, this institution isn't challenging enough for me. Okay. I quit. Then I talked it over with my family, granddad, Calvin, and we made another discovery. Uh, the city of Baltimore sucked. Uh, the, the entire... <laughs> The entire city uh, really got on my nerve, not just the west side or the east side, north and south. I circumnavigated the area, and it, it, the entire thing sucked. So I decided to move to uh, Montgomery County, and I'm a musician. I took my band with me. We went to Montgomery County, and when I went to Montgomery County, I discovered you people in Baltimore City had notified the people in Montgomery County that I, I was there. And uh, the same kind of nonsense I had in Baltimore, I had in Montgomery County. So I discussed it with my family. And my family and I decided that we were going to go to La Plata, we were going to go to Eastern Shore, and then we decided the whole state of Maryland sucks. So uh, we left, and we went to New York and went to Harlem. And when I was in Harlem, I discovered that you people in Maryland had notified the people in Harlem uh, because the same kind of nonsense I had in Maryland, I had in no, I was coming to 125th Street. I was coming out of an alley because I'm, uh, I'm an alley drunk. I don't care what festivity I'm at. I'm, I'm, you'll find me in an alley. Uh, <laughs> An alley or a bathroom with an exit sign, you know, bathroom, I mean, men's sign, you know, I mean, that's the kind of drunk I am. I was never, I was never the kind of drunk to try to impress the ladies, not unless she was buying. I was never, I was never that kind of drunk. I, I don't know where you guys come, I don't know what kind of drunk you were, but I wasn't that kind of drunk. Um, and I come out of this alley and, and this bum, this, I mean, I was cute. I had, uh, matter of fact, I was gorgeous. I had a process hair. Uh, if you white folks don't know what that is, that's when we black guys try to get our hair like y'all's and we sit under, uh, sit under a dryer, put a little net and stuff. And my hair caught on fire way before Michael Jackson, way before the, but I was, I had this little net thing, you know, and I had, I had this process and I come out, I was clean. I had a job, gold in my mouth that kind of comes out when you eat apples, you know, uh, I had the rings and medallion. I had the Nehru jackets and all that stuff. And I come out of this alley and this bum, this this stinking bum with flies circling his head. He looks at me and he says, boy, you got a problem. <laughs> right there, at that moment, the entire state of New York sucked. The entire <laughs> state. And I decided that maybe it's the East Coast. Maybe it's the coastal water, the, the air here. So uh, what I did is I took my band and we moved to a place, because uh, I saw this uh, thing in a newspaper said, come to sunny California. So we went to a place called Culver City. And when I was there, I wasn't there an hour, and this guy offered me an insect. He said, this is a roach. And I, you know, where I come from, you step on roaches, you spray roaches, you don't smoke a roach, you know. Uh, you don't smoke insects. I'm a drunk. I don't know what I know about roaches. I don't know. And uh, while I was there, uh, I, these people were into uh, uh, mood rings and uh, pet rocks and all this hippie 
hippy dippies and, and you, you stand on a corner and somebody doesn't even ask your name to say, what's your sign, you know, and all this crap. And, and Charles Manson started killing people, Sharon Tate and the rest of the people. And so, so, uh, so, uh, the entire state of, I'm really condensing this, the entire state of California sucks. So I saw this, uh, article that said, come to London. It had a picture of Big Ben, so I packed my band and, uh, we went to London. Now, I know it's fashionable. We were talking about this before we came to the meeting about you uh, calling yourself dual addicted, which I have no concept of what that is, but because I'm standing in front of you with about 50, 60,000 addictions. You only got two. I, I, I don't know where, where you got that from, but, you know, dual addicted, addicted to dueling or something. I don't know what, cross addicted, can't stop buying crosses or something. I, I don't know what the heck it is. But, uh, but I was in California, I was in London, and Kenny, my drummer, was a real addict. I mean, he used to criticize my drink, and I criticized his drug, and that's the way it used to be. Well, this is something that I, I notice about all addicts, and I'm a musician, and noticing this for years, Addicts can do something that alcoholics cannot do drunk or sober. An addict, a real addict, can defy gravity. <laughs> a real addict, a real, now, an alcoholic pretending to be an addict will not, if, if, but real addicts will lean way over and then bounce back, you know, and, um, and a real addict, and a real, real addict, you know, do you talk to them and they dip, you know, they, they go down. And that's what I did with Kenny. I mean, and, and, but see, I'm an alcoholic. I get top heavy. I fall. I get, I, I agree with gravity. I go with gravity. See, alcoholics not only fall down the steps, we fall up the steps as well. Because we agree with gravity. Well, well we were standing in front of Big Ben. And um, he was all, he starts, and I wasn't even itching. I started scratching <laughs> And uh, he was doing his thing, and then uh, he was, you know, dipping down. And, and I told myself all the time, don't dip with him. Don't, don't, don't. And, but I hit the ground, and anyhow, and I came up. And he looked at me, and he said, man, we have arrived. We've made it big. We're in front of uh, Big Ben here. And I said, Kenny, uh, this sucks. So um, so he knew what that meant, that's, that, that, that London sucks. So I went to Belgium, and that sucked. And I went to Australia, and that got him in. I got in a fight with a kangaroo. That's another thing. I left there. Um, I went to Anchorage, Alaska. That really pissed me off. I was at the top of the ramp of the plane. I looked over to the right. It looked like McDonald's arches or something. That really pissed me off. I expected, uh, I expected uh, sleigh dogs and stuff to pick me up, and it was uh, too American over there, so that really sucked. I came back to Baltimore. took my family with me everywhere. I came back to Baltimore, and I met a woman. She had three kids. I moved in. I was the fourth. Um, uh, I, I spent a lot of time uh, convincing her, you know, how well-adjusted I am. Then I would throw up. Uh, her uh, seven-year-old son we used to put me to bed because he had practice putting his father to bed, so he knew how to do it. And um, I swear to God, you know, after uh, attempting killing, murdering them, uh, went to a blackout. Uh, I went to a blackout looking why world of sports. Went to a blackout on a Saturday and uh, came to on a Monday. And uh, I tore the whole house up and uh, uh, harmed the children and uh, harmed the lady. And uh, instead of her locking me up, and a lot of women do that, you know, they forgive, you know, the forgiveness. But see, when you forgive an alcoholic like me, a selfish, self-centered person, that forgiveness means one thing. You need me. You need me, you know, so therefore, here's what I will do, and this is a great gesture on my part. I'm going to stop drinking for the four of you, because there's absolutely nothing wrong with me that you didn't cause. So therefore, 
Therefore, I stopped drinking for the four of them, and three months later, I was drunk again, and I started drinking a miniature Calvert Extra, which lasted seven years. And that miniature Calvert Extra uh, uh, caused me to be five years in the streets of Baltimore City, panhandling for five years with uh, customary DTs and everything else that goes with it. This could not happen to me. It's impossible to happen to me. I spent years watching other people go down the tubes with alcohol. But remember, I'm a genius. So therefore, this cannot happen to me. Now, I'm sitting on somebody's steps, and I'm saying, this can't happen to me. Then I see this man walk down the street and say, mister, you got a quarter? You know, reality versus fantasy, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous after five years in the streets, sleeping in the park, sleeping in the empty homes, and daily wanting to die and being pissed off to God because I couldn't die. Uh, coming in Alcoholics Anonymous was just like this, all God. And had nothing to do with you people, so I don't thank you for this at all. Y'all ain't nothing to do with this. I know some of you pissed off to hear that, but y'all ain't got nothing to do with this. <laughs> I spent five years in empty houses, rats running all over the place. You guys weren't with me, and I was never bitten by one rat. None. Not once. You know? I mean, there are so many near-death experiences I went through, drunk, and you guys weren't there. So I knew when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous who Alcoholics Anonymous was turning me towards. I knew it the first day. I, they, they didn't fool me. This thing should have been called Weird People Who Drank Anonymous. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't have come, but it's still, it should have been called that. Um, my last drink after five years, I had a, uh, waiting for my welfare check, uh, at my mom's house. I uh, had, uh, a little bit of, yeah, because I, I blew everything. My stuff went into pawn shops, and, uh, I used to get, on Pennsylvania Avenue, we used to have a Boston Pawn Shop, Oil Loan Company, and all that. And I used to take my fellow winos, I became a wino, instant wino. Uh, soon as I chased Richard Wilder's Rose, it hit my head. How could I have been so stupid all these years to spend money on bourbon? I can been buying truckloads of this cheap stuff. <laughs> but, um, uh, I used to give my fellow winos tours uh, uh, all up and down the avenue of what I used to have. I used to stop in front of the Northwestern. I'd say, see that TV? used to be mine. <laughs> uh, see that? And see, in those days, you used to take suits, too. You used to take clothes and stuff. See that? That used to be my suit. Be up there on a mannequin looking good. You know, I'd be standing out there looking like something. I'd chuck it. <laughs> but uh, five years on this. So my last drink, I had a pass, I passed out in, my, uh, in a seizure, and my heart stopped in front of my mother's house. And they took me to Providence Hospital when I got off the gurney. The desire, the obsession, the compulsion to drink had gone. That was on a Monday. Uh, after seven straight years of obsessive compulsive drinking uh, and five years in the street, it gone like that. I got off the gurney of Providence Hospital, went over to Mondarmin, where I usually stop into the cut rate and, or panhandle for some money and go in cut rate and go down the bathroom and drink and come back out. This time I just went home. And for some strange reason, Alcoholics Anonymous phone number popped in my head. Now that's God. That has nothing to do with AA. I hadn't even been in AA then. That was God. It popped in my head. And this old scraggly voice guy said, AA is not a stop drinking program. And I'm thinking, this man should have stopped drinking a long time ago. He's a, I mean, what, he's 104? You know, what is, what is this? You know, I mean, but that's okay, you know. And what else, Elvis, what else this man said? I don't know. But he said, it's not a stop drinking program. It's a start living program. 
And he mentioned about the old Turk house, and I didn't know what a Turk house was. But that was that was on a Monday. But I self-detoxed my uh, in a, in my bedroom, which is hell, by the way, which is absolute paranoia. Couldn't eat, sweating. The whole is hell. And I went through four days of that. And here's why I came to A, and here's why I stayed, and here's why I fell in love with the program. Thursday night, Friday morning, uh, around 3.15 in the morning, I hit a second bottom, not just one bottom. I knew I couldn't handle alcohol. But it really dawned on me after reviewing my life for those four days of self-detox, and it dawned on me that I could be sober for years and still be a loser. In other words, I didn't have a clue on how to live sober. I know how to survive. I don't know how to live. Big difference. Big difference. And the biggest difference is when you just know how to survive, you have a history of saying, I used to have. When you start to live, you say, I have. Big difference. And so I wanted to know how to live sober. I want to be happy, Jewish, and free sober. I don't want to be like some people in a, I'm 22 years sober. This is the best damn day of my life. If you want what I have, no, I drank to get rid of what you got. No, I don't want what you have, pal. My God, you're 22 years sober. You look like you just came from a wake. My God, this is called sobriety? Jeez, looking at you make me thirsty. My God. Well, you know, we're not happy all the time. Are you happy anytime? I was uh, a few... So I met my sponsor at uh, Turk House down at uh, uh, old, old, uh, down on Green Street, old Dr. Bob's, uh, Dr. Turk's uh, uh, Turk House, and Dr. Bob's luncheon meeting. And uh, what happened is that he came from, uh, he and his buddy came from Akron, and I didn't know that, but he was talking about sleeping under bridges and all that kind of stuff, and I could identify with him. And after the meeting, I asked this man, they said, you need a sponsor. And I said, hey, would you sponsor me? And he said, yes, but don't tell me how to sponsor you. I thought I was talking to the Godfather or something. And I said, oh, gosh, oh, boy, here we go. So we went outside, and he had rented a car. They were visiting Father Martin down here. They were never been to Baltimore before. I'd never been to A before, and we hooked up. Again, that's God. Had to be. We went out to this rental car after the meeting. He, they opened up the trunk of the car. They had two boxes in there, and they had a sheet of paper that said the original manuscript of somebody named uh, Bill W. And I had no idea who that was. And he flipped through the things, and he says, now, read that. And what I read, now I fell in love with A the first meeting. After listening to this guy, the guy talk, if he could do it, I could do it. I went from recovering to recovering. At my first meeting, the hopelessness had gone. At my first meeting, went from a hopeless state of mind to hope. My first meeting. No steps, no thousand meetings, just hope. My first meeting. Went outside, read that thing, and here's what it said. If you read this document and have reread it and have gotten nothing out of it, don't waste your time, throw this document away. And I really fell in love with Ada. Good God Almighty. I spent most of my life with people begging, praying, lighting candles, all this kind of stuff for me, and I continued to drink. I ran into you guys, the old you guys, not the new guys now with the hugs and kisses and the smooches and stuff. But I ran into the old guys. It was simple, man. You wanted to drink bad enough. Some of us would give you a couple of dollars to get you started. Get out. Get drunk. We're hit a bottom. Didn't come back. But it's all changed now. Because we went right after that, I read that, we went to our first, my first 12-step meeting, 12-step call. And they went in a bar, and I'm sober one day. This is my first day. Went into a bar to 12-step a man. 
And he, I was very sensitive then. I called him Adolf Hitler. And his uh, buddy, his buddy was from Akron. Both of them been sober since dirt. Uh, his buddy had a trek in his throat, and he looked like Popeye, and he sounded like Popeye, and he had a very short vocabulary, consisted of two words. That's the only thing I remember the man saying, let's go. That's the only thing, I don't know what else the man said, let's go. And when we was in that bar, this man said, you guys waited so long, I changed my mind. And I was pissed, I was furious. I thought they were going to beg and plead with the guy to stop drinking or something. No, they said, when you change your mind, give us another call. And he turned around and left. And I'm standing there, and Popeye looked at me and said, let's go. <laughs> I mean, this is old AA. They did not care about your feelings back there. Now, like he was saying, you know, I was uh, talking about my feelings, my feelings, my feelings. My feelings told me to, my feelings caused me to blow a lot, burn a lot of bridges. A lot of bridges. I'm in a program that says God gave us brains to use. I'm not making it up. I know it's hard to believe. You know, like my first night meeting in A with Adolph and Popeye, my first night meeting, if some of you old and older members in here remember the Friday Essex meeting, that was a big meeting. And I figured, yeah, I was on, I was on Skid Row for five years and I didn't die. I get in AA one day and get killed by the Ku Klux Klan. There's something, there's something, you know, inherently wrong with this, you know, picture, you know. And I'm down there with all these Klan people and me, you know. And, my, and, and Adolph, and they had about 2,000 Klan members there, and I'm saying, and they had, all the way in the front, they had two empty seats, and I'm saying, where am I going to sit? And Popeye said, let's go. <laughs> I said, whoa, my God. I'm getting all the way down there. I'm looking under the seats for kerosene and stuff, you know. You know, guess who came to dinner, you know. And, and I'm walking past, and I got this new look. See, when you're new, you got this look like, have I landed yet? You know, look. <laughs> And I got this new look, and they looking at me, hi, how you doing? I'm saying, yeah, you'd be nice now, but after meeting him. I'm saying all the way down in the front, and I'm scared to death, and I hated coffee, but I need to hit that boy. And the coffee urn looked like 15 miles in the back, and they had a, a closet next to it, and I figured that's where the hoods and sheets were. So uh, I asked my sponsor, I asked my sponsor, it's all changed now. Now you have coffee runners. You can sit down and somebody, how many sugars? How many creams? There was a time you actually had to wait in line for your own coffee, but now you got runners. Well, I was, my first night, I asked my sponsor, would you get me a cup of coffee? And you know what he said to me? What's wrong with your legs? Hey, man, I got feelings. I'm sensitive, you know. I had to get up and get a half a cup of coffee. Get up, I got a whole cup and spilled it on one of them. <laughs> you know, that'd be cool. So I got a half a cup and I made it back. And I told my sponsor, I'm so proud I made it back. And he, I said, I made it back. And he said, so? Uh, Jesus Christ, man. After the meeting, when they the meeting, it was closed. The woman secretary looked at me. I guess you felt sorry for me. You don't supposed to do what she did. But she looked at me and said, young man, would you like to say something? And my sponsor said, no, he didn't know a damn thing. And it echoed off the walls. You know, I was so humiliated. Um, and A has watered down a lot since that time. Now it's all, you know, serving you and all of us, that kind of stuff. We went to a, a restaurant called Bickford's. And this is on Howard and Fayette Street. It was open 24 hours. And that's where we got into the original manuscript of the steps. Four days later, all the steps were done. Seven days later, they were done again. Six days later, they were done again. And about five days later, we spent a lot of time in Baltimore taking drunks off the street, taking them to a place called PAP. It used to be down on Fayette Street. We spent a lot of time doing that. We don't do that today, but we used to do that. 
And I spent three and a half weeks in Baltimore and about five months in Akron, and that's where I met Lois Wilson and Clarence Snyder and a whole lot of other people. So the, the steps were done very quickly. Uh, they knew that if I procrastinated today, I'll procrastinate tomorrow, and I'll look for other procrastinators, then we'll start a procrastination group. Uh, we haven't done the steps, and we're miserable as hell. Now, now, if you want what we have, good God, you know, and, and that's what you got. You got a lot of paper, people like that today, you know. They got their medallions and, you know, and stuff. Look, I'm 25 years crazy. Um, you know, you know, look at that, you know. Look at that. I got 19 years. I want to kill my wife last night. You know? You know, and there's something inherently wrong with that picture, you know. I didn't see none of that, you know, when I came in. I did. I was in a car in Akron, though, with three. I know this sounds like a bar joke, but this is got true. I was in a, in a car there with three clergymen and me. I'm the only non-clergy in Akron. These guys are sober years. Uh, one rabbi and two two cap two priests uh, two uh, uh, Christians uh, clergy. And it was summertime, and they howling out the window at the women. I really love Abe. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they were whistling and stuff, and I'm sitting there saying, "Hey, this is a spiritual program." And these guys are. They're the clergy. They're going off. And I'm saying, boy, you know, what I discovered in A over there is that real, the people that's really in the program are not stuffy. They're not stuck up, pious, holier than thou, better than you, all that kind of stuff. That just represents fear. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't even know that they're 40 years sober, 45 years sober. They're just people, you know, and they know they're not perfect. They know, but they don't use that as an excuse to do imperfect things. Well, I burned your house down because I'm not perfect. <laughs> well, you know, I raped your dog and killed your wife because I'm not perfect, you know. God's not finished with me yet, you know. We, we, don't, we don't play that kind of crap there, you know. We don't do that. You know, over there, you don't even talk unless you know the book. Apply the steps, have to know the steps, then put them in your own words, and then you chair a meeting. You know, it's all different now. Now you can say, well, this uh, happened day for yesterday. Well, I'm not at the seventh step yet, but if I ever get there, this is what it will mean to me. <laughs> you know, that was day for yesterday. You know, and that's what's going on. So uh, uh, things have really changed a lot. I'm having a ball here these 33 years I've been here. I came in and stayed, and I it wasn't because of you people, because a lot of you suck. But uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't because it wasn't because of you. I came in here because I had a brain that threatened my life. That had nothing to do with my mother or my father or my background. I had a brain that could tell me this is great. Why don't you quit it? I have a history of incomplete projects like that. So my brain, not you, not the world, my brain could sabotage me at any given moment. So every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. The vision of God's will. See, my will sucked. If my will still worked, I would never join you coffee suckers. <laughs> I would never. I'm a loner. I told you I'm a gee, I'm a loner. I wouldn't play around you folks. Adam, you keep the faith, buddy. Just one day at a time. Don't take yourself too seriously. Rule 62. Just understand that the biggest thing in life is trying to understand and do the will of God. That's the biggest thing. Some people are not going to like you, but then they're drunks. 
You know, just the nature of drunks, not to like somebody. You know, like after this meeting, you're going to say, they're going to form a little caucus. Did you hear what that nigga said? I mean, you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? They ain't going to tell me, they're going to tell you, you know. They say, what step are you practicing, you know, saying that? Anyhow, uh, I'm glad that Adam asked me to come down here. And congratulations to you. Don't take any wood and nibbles. Read the 164 pages to the new people. 30 to 103 is where you find all the steps uh, in the book. And don't tell let anybody tell you there's 12 promises. It's 84. Okay? And we cover it from a hopeless state of mind and body. You'll find that in Roman on 13 and page 20. Uh, in other words, it's nice to know the truth. So if somebody gives you a lie, you can say, hey, that's a lie. You know? But if you don't know what the truth is, lies become sound pretty good. You know? Because it's really the easier and softer way. So anyhow, congratulations to you, buddy. Keep it fighting. What? Oh. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't have a watch out because I thought Melvin was going to speak the whole hour. So. Uh, no, that's fine. I'm going to, I am going to, you're welcome to come back up. Well, let me tell you about being in book. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought it was another speaker, which is all right with me. Uh, but uh, look, uh, here's what it was. When I was in Australia, okay, um, we played in a club, and uh, we have we played 40 minutes, we off 20. And so on off time, I don't want to be around anybody. I'm a loner. Leave me alone, you know. And so I got outside the club, and I was going to take a leak, and I had a bottle in one hand, and, you know. So I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, in the back of my head, boom! And I turn around, and it's this rule, this kangaroo. His eyes red. I know mine's are. And I am swear, I'm, I think this thing want to take my bottle. So we, I, I finished off the rest of it. I zipped up, and I went to war. We went to fighting, you know. So Kenny is coming out of the club. He's telling me, that's the attic I was talking about. He's telling me that they're looking for me to get back to work. And he saw me fighting this animal. So he went back inside and told, I guess, everybody. Uh, the whole club came out and saw me fighting this thing. So Australia sucked big time, big time, big time sucked. And when I came back and met uh, Bert, Alberta, with the three kids, I was really going to stop drinking. I really liked her kids. I never liked kids. Uh, never, I mean, not unless the woman really looked good, then I would fake liking it. Oh, if the woman was really sexy, I would say, oh, so cute. And I'm thinking, look like a little monkey. Oh, or wrinkled bacon or something, you know, you know. But if she's really sexy, oh, how wonderful. I wish she was mine. Uh, no, I don't. But, uh, but, uh, you know, I went, went through this stuff and I had no idea that my alcoholism was progressing. Progressing. When I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the things we used to do then that we don't do now, we used to get in cars and go to places. I had these people here from California. That was a normal thing. I mean, you get in cars. They would, it makes no sense to ask them, where are we going to a meeting today? Because you may wind up in New York or wind up in Philadelphia or wind up in Richmond. 
because they used to say, we spent more money on alcohol than we ever put into the gas tank of these cars. And we're doing this for us. It kills a little bit more selfishness and enable us to be a little bit more selfless. We're thinking more about somebody else than ourselves. So that's why they started me off from day one on that 12-step call, because they know if I put it off, I'll put it off tomorrow and put it off the next day. Selflessness was so important because 62 of the book, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble, not alcohol. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Over the years, as 19 people, uh, some of you remember the show Homicide, uh, where homicide was filmed used to be, uh, down at, at, at uh, Fells Point, used to be uh, the old city morgue. That's where I used to go down to identify bodies, and some uh, bodies of AA members. And it was 19 bodies that I had to identify, what was left of some of the bodies. And I had to identify. The youngest 12-step call I was on was a little girl, and um, uh, she was 10 years old, Union Memorial Hospital, uh, who died from alcoholism. And I was her sponsor for two weeks before she died, and there was nothing else I could do but just show her the program. And she did the program to the best of her ability for two weeks. I mean, this girl, I mean, she'd never been on a swing or anything. I took her out to Drill Park with her mother, you know, and for two weeks, she had sobriety. Never had it before in her life. And then she died. Um, over the years, there's been many AA members I have met who died sober. And one of them uh, was, I mean, he wasted down to like 40 pounds or something. Uh, he was really in a bad way. And you know what? When you go to see him at uh, uh, Bon Secure Hospital, when you used to go to see him, he would say, you know, every day is a great day above ground and sober. And he was dying. You know, I mean, you actually learn selflessness here, you know, and that's what happened with me. So the steps run like this, you know, first five steps. I'm a drunk, I'm crazy, God help me to see myself and to talk about those things that opposes the grace of God. If I did the first five steps and stopped, nothing would happen except I would know the first five steps. Because step four says, write down your, write down your crap. <laughs> Uh, all right, you're a thief. Write it down. The fifth step, tell your sponsor. Now, the sixth step says, this is heavy. Y'all may want to write this down. Sixth step says, stop stealing, asshole. <laughs> and that heavy, and that heavy, and that we're, we're trying to really have God remove them. I mean, what's the sense of writing it down and talking about it and keep on doing it? You know, six and seven. Six is action, seven is motive. Justification for those actions. That has to be there before step eight. And step eight made a list of all persons we had harmed. That means even if you still don't like them, write their names down anyhow and became willing to make amends to them over a period of time. I still don't like number two. I still don't like number five. But I don't know. Which is another way of saying I'm scared of number two and I'm scared of number five. And the fear element has to go because fear is an evil and corroding thread. We was talking about that before. I don't know when that started in a... But somewhere along the line, people start using the phrase, I got a healthy fear of stuff. Now, I don't know about you. Yes, I do. But I, I never felt fearful and healthy in my life. I mean, I, I can't, the two, that's an oxymoron. You know, when I'm scared witless, I don't feel healthy worth a, I don't feel healthy at all. You know, when I'm scared, but somebody's got a healthy fear 
I live around where I drank. I didn't go to um, a halfway house, a quarterway house. I didn't take an abuse. I came right from the streets into A and stayed here because I actually believe what I heard. I actually believe what was presented to me in literature. And one of the very first things that I learned here was how not to put any dependency on you, people, people. Why? It's very simple. Because if I put my dependency on Adam, and I don't care how much I love Adam, he's still one drink away from a drunk. Should he get drunk, what would happen to me? My support system would be yanked out under my feet. So it says, his name is God, may you find him now. Immediately, not people. And what you people did is showed me how to live outside of A. That's what you showed me. You showed me how not to hide in here, but how to live out there where other drunks who saw me drunk now see me sober, and that's the attraction. If I were just hiding in here, this would be a Jim Jones thing. My God, y'all remember what happened there. You know, because y'all hear it constantly. I never heard this, this crap in, in Akron, but, uh, but I hear all my friends in A. Man, that sucks. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I take my lady, we go to Atlantic City or we go to Vegas or somewhere, and here comes, oh, Mel, man, I remember hearing you at a meeting. Can we, can we just, I'm in, I'm in Atlantic City, man. Give me a break. Yeah, but I need some help with my four-step, and I got to help this guy, you know. I mean, actually, when you run into an A member, you say, man, you think the Orioles going to win? Well, but for the grace of God. What? <laughs> think it's going to rain today? One day at a time. <laughs> Jeez, man. Well, I'm having a hard time with the meeting. Well, keep coming back. You know. <laughs> Don't you know how to say anything anymore? And, you know, but what is the whole thing now? You're just so AA-ish. You, you're just, uh, you're gone. You're crazy. You know, you're whacked, man. You're supposed to live this thing, you know. That's why we continue to take personal inventory and we're wrong, promptly admitted. Did y'all know there's three requirements? I asked this uh, about 20-some years ago at a meeting in a couple of old timers got really pissed off because, you know, when you got some years in here, you're supposed to be so wise to new, peop new people that, you know, you're not supposed to show that you don't, maybe don't know crap. So, you know, you got the time in, you know, and I keep telling people, don't be so impressed with time, Adam, because even prisoners got that. <laughs> you know, so don't, don't be, don't be all impressed, you know, with, uh, uh, this, this joke over here has got 30 years. Yeah, but look at him. He just crapped on him. Said, look at him. Um, one of the guys I sponsored now had 41 years and went out. Uh, I, I, then I got him, and we did the steps in a couple of weeks. He did another, another state, and we did the steps in about three weeks, which is a long time, but he had health problems and all that. And his wife that he'd been knowing for 56 years said he's a better man in those few weeks than the whole 56 years he ever knew him. You know why? Because the, the steps changes the way you think. The, chest, the steps changes your perception, you know. I mean, it's not going to make you a pianist if you don't know how to play a piano. But it will make you a better, enable you to be a better pianist if you already know how to play the piano. So whatever good comes out of you, AA didn't put it there. It was already there. You already had the patience. You already had the love, the compassion for other people. It's already there. It's just been smoked over by fear and anxiety and stress and all the other negativities. And then you hang around more negative, negative people and you say, you know, I feel bad. And that person says, me too. <laughs> oh, okay. 
You're my sponsor. Sponsor, I feel depressed. Me too. I need some help. Me too. No, I need a sponsor that's a cut above where I am. I need somebody to help me up. You know, because when I was drinking, I don't care how much of a homeboy you were. If you were, if I was broken, you were broke. Bye. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the way it is, pal. You know, I don't care how nice you are. You know, I got the Jones kicking here and I need, you know, I mean, I want to, we can talk about uh, school days later. Let me get a hit. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. And that's the same thing in A. If you don't have what I want, in other words, if you hear 50 years and you're just as miserable as I am, or more miserable than I am, then I don't want what you have. I already got it. <laughs> I need I need something to get rid of it, and that's where the steps come in. Because uh, the, what's going on now today, I swear to God, I would have had a hard time coming in today, I mean, with all this new crap going on. I know a guy, 50, 52, what the hell he's got? He's got 50-something. He hardly even go to meetings anymore because of this new stuff. You know, we're talking about the feelings, you know, in touch with your feelings. And I'm saying, you know, I had feelings when I was new, but nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. They didn't. When I was in the back seat of that car, that's what that was my area, by the way, the back seat. When I was in the back seat of the car, they didn't say, "Hey, Mel, how were the vibes in that meeting? Were the vibes right? Did you get anything? Did it feel right?" And it didn't dawn on me that they weren't. They didn't care. You know that I was sitting there pissed. And they'd be talking to each other and laughing. And the happier they get, the more angrier I would get. And they didn't care. In other words, they helped me very quickly to look at myself. And here I am pissed off with happy people. What the hell is wrong with me? Why is that happening? You know, I hope Adam stays here. I hope Adam stays sober and gets into the book, stays into the literature, be so happy that he makes these old, miserable people more miserable. <laughs> I hope he stays here. I hope he stays happy. I hope, I hope, I just hope that. I really do. I, I just hope. I'd like to see new people just happy, joyous, and free. And remember, when an alcoholic is judging you, remember, he is an alcoholic judging you. That's like Ray Charles telling Stevie Wonder, I like your shirt. <laughs> It serves me. It ain't nothing. It ain't about nothing. Don't worry about it. It ain't about nothing. It ain't about nothing. Keep the faith, folks. And and I have to thank Adam again, you know, for inviting me down. I'll probably never be here again. No, that's okay. That's sorry, because I travel around, you know, the country anyhow. But but nevertheless, I hope that all the new people understand what I'm saying. Get into the literature. It's important that you get into the literature. The reason for that is because all the mistakes have already been made. All the solutions have already been laid down in the book. So there's nothing for you to figure out but pick up the literature, read what it says. If you don't understand something, go to another person who's picked up the literature and understand what it says so that you, too, can follow, can carry this legacy uh, that's been handed down since 1939 when the book was April Fool's Day. <laughs> uh, since, uh, to carry this legacy down so that you can transmit that happiness, that hope to the new person. Because that's, uh, that's one of the things that he does. He gives the hopeless people hope, you know? So thank you very much.
My name is Jim Mahoney. I'm an alcoholic. On behalf of the Harbor City Speakers Group, I'd like to present Adam with his one-year chip.